Well, tonight I am doing a part two of what I started last week about living in the biblical days of the end times. And this is a continuation of last week's message and tonight why these are end times. So what makes the time we live in so special? Why are these end times? <clears throat> Excuse me, this is a four-week series that we'll be doing the entire month of September. And uh, certainly the Holy Spirit has written a lot in the Word of God on what we would call last days or end times. Why would he write all that if we weren't meant to observe it? If we weren't meant to take that serious? And so that's what we're trying to do. Uh, the Lord's church should be teaching on this every now and then. And this is an every now and then. And I want to pick up where we left off last week. I can't repeat anything from last week, but due to time. But hey, you can always get the podcast if you haven't heard that. So let's pray here. Father God, we just invite Holy Spirit to be our teacher, that I would not interfere with what Holy Spirit would want to do in the lives of these fine folks that would be listening here live or by podcast. Uh, and we ask, Father, that um, Holy Spirit would communicate these truths to us so that we would always consider the days we live in. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, Jesus' disciples, as I had said, thought Jesus was going to be setting up his kingdom and overthrow Rome in their lifetime. They were wrong. Many Christians in centuries past have believed they were living in the last days before the Lord's return, and centuries have gone by. So we left off with that question last week, so why now? Why would we say this now? What would, why, why would we be declaring last days now? What makes our times so different? And that is the issue, understanding the times. That's always been the issue, that we would be those that know how to read the times well. Um, we are in unique times right now in the history of mankind, as never before in the history of Christianity, as never before in the history of the human race. I think you'll see I'll mention both of those tonight. First of all, we always need to remember that all times are in God's hands. That is just so important. Don't believe me. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 in the first part of the verse, very important scripture. It is he who changes the times and the periods. He removes kings and appoints kings. Okay, changing the times. A Jerusalem Bible, which is a Catholic Bible, has that translated procession of the times. Periods. Uh, New King James says seasons. Common English Bible says eras. Uh, the Douay Reims, which is another Roman Catholic Bible, says ages. Living Bible, which is a paraphrase, says world events are under his control. So it's very important scripture for us when we're studying God's prophetic time clock that we would understand the prophetic uh, world as God sees the times. And again, it says it is he who changes the times and the periods. So these are not determined by man, nor by the church. Some have taught the church determines the times. It does not if it's affected by it, it can usher in things of the Lord, but it doesn't affect the times by God. They are by Him and Him alone. Our job is to notice them and how do we respond to them. 
there was a belief, uh, which I do like, that when the gospel went forth in the first century on the earth, the human race entered last days. How about that? The Messiah had risen from the dead. He had ascended into heaven. Holy Spirit had come back. And last days came to the human race. Look at what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. The last times. The Lord's first coming is the beginning of last times. Yet it has lasted a long time. In the last times of the human race, it has lasted for many years. And yet we realize it's still not yet the end of days. Peter goes on to tell us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. How about that? Paul, uh, Paul, Peter calls this a fact. Huh, a fact. Not an opinion, a fact. One day is like as a thousand years to the Lord. This is called prophetic perspective. So let's take a brief look at prophetic perspective to get a better understanding of this. A good understanding of it is what Jesus had quoted in Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. Jesus quotes this in Luke chapter 4 verses 16 to 20. So let's look at Luke 4, 16 to 20. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Yeah. And news about him spread through all the surrounding region. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now here he's going to read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. Okay, so Jesus here, he reads Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, but he stops in the middle of the verse on verse 2 and closes the scroll. He doesn't read the end of the verse, which they all knew, and the day of vengeance of our God. He doesn't read that. So all the eyes are looking at him, right? And they're saying inside, yeah, go on, go on. Why are you sitting down? There's more. Why? Instead, he says in verse 21, he now began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now in verse 15, they're praising him. We just read that. But after this, they want to kill him. We're not going to go on reading it. They want to kill him. Wow. What happened here? In Isaiah 61 verse 1, and the first half of verse 2, which he read, is the first coming of the Messiah. It is fulfilled. You're looking at him. 
Jesus says this has been fulfilled in your hearing. But the end of the sentence is the second of the Messiah to enact the vengeance of God. So in his first coming, he is the Lamb of God. But in his second coming, it's no lamb. It's the Lion of Judah coming to enact vengeance. That's different. That's prophetic perspective. The prophet Isaiah did not know about this. The two comings of the Messiah are hidden in the mind of God from men when this is revealed. And Jesus only has here the true meaning. Now, I was going to put a picture up there. I couldn't find it. But anyway, picture a visual. How about a mountain cliff? Then a very long valley. Then another mountain cliff. Okay? So if I'm at one mountain cliff and look straight ahead... I see almost a continual line into the next mountain. I don't see the valley. That's an example of prophetic perspective. That first cliff is the first coming of Christ. That big long valley is the church age that we live in now that has lasted thousands of years. That second cliff is the second coming of Christ. Isaiah didn't see that. The Jews did not see that. That's a prophetic perspective. So back to Peter here. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8, Peter says again, And do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the, the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. That phrase is a phrase of prophetic perspective. Not in the mind of men, but in the mind of God being revealed. There are thousands of years in between the first and second coming of Christ. So, a little more on this prophetic talk, we find from Hosea, chapter 6, verse 2, when the prophet Hosea says something similar, he says, he will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Obviously, we we're realizing the death and resurrection of Jesus, but in a prophetic concept here of a three-day concept. As Peter gave us light, if one day is as a thousand years, in looking at this Hosea scripture, then that would tell us from the first century to 1000 AD is the first day. From 1000 AD to 2000 AD is the second day. We now in the 21st century are walking into the third day, the last thousand years, or if a thousand years. Look at what Jesus tells us here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. And if those days, the ones we're in now, if those days had not been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Cut short. We don't know what cut short means in duration. It may very well be then we are living in days that have been cut short and at any time in this new third prophetic day, his return may be imminent. So why are these days we live in now so different from the rest of the history of Christianity? Well, as I had just said, we're in the third day. We know that. But there's more here. There's three things that point to why we live in what we would consider beyond last days as end times. Number one, since the turn of the 20th century, we have seen an, uh, an 
an accelerated time in Christian history like no other time with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in uh, 1901, especially with a reoccurrence all over the globe of the body of Christ, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Spirit. And with people speaking in other tongues, with prophecy, with miracles reoccurring everywhere. No one church group could claim they made this happen. There was no written theology that taught this with one leader that made it happen. This wasn't a Martin Luther. This wasn't a John Knox. It wasn't a John Calvin. No one could say, oh, my writing started a movement. No, no one could say that. This is a spontaneous So these Christians at the turn of the 20th century who experienced this first, they believed prophetically that they were in the last days that have come upon them. So based on what they were experiencing, they were teaching at that time uh, what Joel had prophesied in chapter 2, verse 28. They believed that prophetic scripture was coming to pass now in their time. It will come about that after this, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. Verse 29, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They believed that scripture was being fulfilled prophetically at that time. They believed that um, it was an end time event happening. Excuse me. And it was being fulfilled. Let me mention a few things about that. I wasn't going to, but we do have the time. Um, There was a man named Frank Parham, very important name. He had a Bible school circa 1900 in Topeka, Kansas. In this school, a woman named Agnes Osmond spoke in tongues for the first time among the students. And that had spread to the other students. There's a pause there. Do you know in every major revival God does, women are at the forefront? How about that? Yep, it's right. How about that? How about that? For centuries, they're nothing more than possessions. They're nothing more than property. Jesus is the true liberator of women. And, and, and they were so oppressed over the centuries and are today across the globe. Every single revival, God uses the ones that are so devoted. To, the men are, are screwies. They're not devoted to him. They're very selfish. The women are devoted to him. Always have been over the centuries. The Booths in, the, in England, uh, Salvation Army. There was an army of women led by the Booths, but there was an army of women that did that, that, that pulled the children out of the slums. Anyway, at every major revival in history, God has women at the forefront. Look at the book of Esther. One woman saves the entire Jewish race. Wow. Anyway, this is no different. We have a woman here speaking in tongues for the first time. Other students now follow her in the school. It goes beyond the school. And they start devoting themselves. Originally, the school started uh, to study holiness. But uh, it goes beyond that. Now, they start studying this phenomenon in the Word of God. They're, they're, they are now the first ones who are going to actually lay theology of what is this experience. So anyway, one of his students who was affectionately known as a one-eyed black preacher who walked with a limp. And in other words, very impressive, unimpressive in the eyes of men. His name was William Joseph Seymour. And he took this message and experienced it in California. He considered Parham a spiritual father. 
Rodrigo VI, a few years later, he's meeting at the Bonnie Bray House in Los Angeles, a house in a residential neighborhood. And the spiritual heavens broke open. And an anointing of the Holy Spirit went forth as I have never seen before. There were little pockets. Parham's Bible School is an example. It's called the Topeka Revival. But not like this. Thousands came out over the years. And around 1906, uh, so it made the Los Angeles Times newspaper. They wrote a weird babbling of tongues. And they also wrote wild scenes. Uh, when it first broke out, they had this piano in the house, in, in the living room. And uh, a lady at the prayer meeting there did not know how to play piano. And she was able to play hymns on the piano. Just hymns. Supernatural impartation on this piano. So when the <laughs> Holy Spirit broke out, her daughter, who I think was seven years old, runs out in the street. It's, it's like a hilly street. Runs up and down the hill yelling, people are weird, people are weird. And she's going up and down the street screaming, people are weird. <laughs> Strange. And uh, obviously the neighbors didn't like them very much. Uh, and they had to move because they had so many people coming to this house. The entire porch collapsed. Over 40 people hit the ground. I don't know who was injured, but they just had to get out of there. It was just too many people. So they moved to Azusa Street, what a strange name, in Los Angeles. And it was primarily uh, a uh, place to go seek the Spirit of God from 1906 through 1913. Uh, and literally thousands had come through. And the Azusa Street Revival in less than 10 years was global. Usually revivals are little pocket things. You have to go to it. This thing moved out all on its own. Nobody gets credit for it individually. It just moves out. Now, personally, I have a couple of minutes to say, I never thought I would ever be there. But being our Bible school that we had here at the time, the Wagner Institute, um, the headquarters was in Pasadena, California. Uh, they said, hey, do you want to take a trip to Azusa uh, Street on the day off? I'm like, what are you kidding me? Yeah. They said there's been many revivals in Los Angeles over the years. This was obviously the granddaddy of them all. So we went to the Bonnie Bray house. It's this really nondescript house build. I don't know, circa 1910. Uh, nothing much to look at. I saw the porch collapsed. You go inside the house. The living room was kind of small. The original piano was still there. Of course, you're not allowed to touch anything. I went over to do a couple C chords. There wasn't no way in the world I'm going to not touch this piano. But we were with a small group of people who were Bible school leaders from all over the country. And as soon as you walked into that room, the presence of the Holy Spirit was outrageously heavy and intense. I mean, it was an incredible experience in this little tiny room. And the lady who runs the house, it belongs to a church now. She's the caretaker. She says, yes, this happens here often. Not all the time, but often, off and on. And people can actually rent that for a prayer meeting if they want to. And wow, incredible experience. Then later after that day, we went to actually, which is very close to the Los Angeles Times paper building. And sure enough, on the uh, lamppost there was a sign that says, this is the birth of Pentecostalism. Right there on the sign. The town put it up. That place right now, that building's long gone. It was a wood building. Now it's a Japanese cultural center. <laughs> but 
there's this little park they have in the front of it, all brick, and there's a bronze plaque on the, um, on the ground that says, on this site is the birth of Pentecostalism in the world. It's really a cool thing to see. Never, never go and see something like that in my life. What an experience. Um, so from there, they shook the earth. Now, as the years went on, Holy Spirit grew this with more renewals. In the 1950s, there was a great healing revival that took place. In the 1960s, I'm being very casual here as I'm going across this. In the 1960s, the Pentecostal experience hit mainline denominations, known as the charismatic renewal. This particular church is a hybrid of when that happened, because it was started during the middle uh, as a prayer meeting uh, in the middle of the charismatic renewal, just at the very end of it, I believe. Uh, so you're here as a result, if you would, a residual result of a, a renewal. Um, then in the uh, 1970s and 80s, there was a great biblical teaching renewal across the world. In the 80s, there was a great prophetic renewal all over the globe. And the amazing part was also mainline denominations that would not consider themselves Pentecostals were starting to hold on to Pentecostal truth. You had Baptists who were speaking in tongues, and they still wanted to be called Baptists. Remember, Pat Robertson's ministry, he was a Baptist. Wow. And they wanted to remain that way. <laughs> Pretty wild. Then when the 1990s came, globally we had a uh, renewal of the apostolic all across the globe. So, and of course there have been many, many renewals within renewals, far too numerous to talk about tonight. So totally, globally today, it's estimated, no one knows, but there's over 644 million Pentecostal Christians globally. There's over 700 denominational groups. That's not a church, that's an entire denomination. Over 700 Pentecostal denominations globally. Thousands of independent churches. We are not part of a denomination. Um, in America, there's over 68 million Christians that hold the Pentecostal beliefs. And it has been called the fastest growing religious movement in the world, all in less than 120 years. That's impossible to make happen yourself. Impossible. No one church could do that. And they believe and teach that we're in end times. How about that? Now, we'll do a more in-depth teaching on this in November about the history of Pentecostalism. But for tonight, um, we see here that this is a major indicator, as they believed in 1900, that last days have fallen upon the earth. And surely since 1900, the earth has been shaken which, with what's been called Pentecostal truth. So today, what we need to know is um, one of the most important witnesses we have that we are in last days is this, that the Holy Spirit has been poured on the earth as never before since the first century and is continuing to do so when more and more biblical light being revealed. Okay, but it didn't stop there. Number two, why are we in end times? In 1948, Israel became a state. That is a further explosive event in human history on planet earth. In terms of the end times and the last days, the existence of the nation of Israel means everything. 
everything. The establishment of that nation began the end times. Things prophetically moved from last days to end times. Let's look at this a little more. Mark chapter 13, verses 28 to 30. Jesus speaking. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. As soon as its branches have become tender and sprouts its leaves, you know that the summer is near. All right, let's stop there. Fig tree. Two very important trees in the Bible you're going to constantly see mentioned. The fig tree and the olive tree. The fig tree will always represent natural Israel, the Jewish race. Always. It's a picture. The olive tree is spiritual Israel. That's you and me. That's people who are non-Jews that have accepted Christ as their Savior. We are grafted in. We're called the wild olive tree, the wild olive branch. You'll see that all through Scripture, the, spiritual, the spiritualism of the olive tree. Here we have the fig tree. Jesus is speaking of the natural nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Notice it sprouts leaves. That's the birth of the nation in, 19, in June 1948. It sprouted. Summer time is near. Summer is a new growth period. It's an advancement of the Jewish people. So let's read again, verse 28. Now learn the, from the parable of the fig, from the fig tree. As soon as his branches have become tender and sprouts its leaves, you will know the summer is near. Verse 29. So you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. So since Israel becomes a state, the days have now been cut short. Not a full thousand years to come. Let's keep reading. Verse 30. Truly I say to you, what do I always say? Here Jesus is dropping a bomb. Whenever he says, truly I say to you, some translations, verily, verily, I saith unto you. I think that's King James. This is the truth I tell you. It's an Aramaic expression from the first century, which means you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. I got to tell you up front, I'm not lying. They actually used to raise their hand to heaven. Now, we don't know if Jesus did that, but they actually used to raise their hand to heaven and saying, I'm telling you the truth for what you're going to hear now. It's like they make an oath. Okay. And anytime Jesus says this, he drops bombs. I am the truth and the life. You know, I am the way, etc. Okay. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What is this generation? The one where the leaves sprout, the 1948 generation. Will not pass away until these things take place. Amplified Bible, verse 30. I assure you and solemnly say to you, this generation, the people living when these signs and events begin, will not pass away until all these things take place. Who is that generation Jesus is speaking of? It's the generation at the birth of the nation of Israel in 1948. And those born in 1948, guess what? They're still alive. It hasn't been 100 years yet. The clock is still ticking. Matthew 24, verse 22, in the same concept, Amplified Bible, Jesus says, And if those days of tribulation... Had, been, had not been cut short, no human life would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, God's chosen ones, those days will be 
shortened. Now, I've got to be real careful here. The elect are the Jews, not Christians. There are churches that teach this wrong, that we are the elect. We are not. This is the Jewish race he's talking about. So the nation of Israel becoming a state in 1948 shocked theologians at that time. If they were honest and truly students of the Word of God, they were shocked. They had thought all these scriptures about last days were either uh, spiritualized or they had figured everything out, and that shocked them. Because the reaction to honest ones was, you mean this is literal? They were stunned. I mean, really stunned. It fulfilled biblical prophecy with a phenomenal accuracy. We'll talk about this next week when we look at Matthew 24. So, it meant we are now watching a time clock for the return of Christ on the horizon. Yet, we don't set the day and the hour. That is unknown to us. But the season is upon us. In Daniel chapter 12, another very important scripture when it speaks of increasing in the last days. Look at this, Daniel 12, 4. But as for you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. So we have biblical knowledge will increase, but we also know knowledge will increase in the natural as well. Um, I don't know if you know, but there's been an immense explosion of biblical understanding in Christianity over the last 120 years. I don't know what study books you own, but if you own the biggies, Strong's, Young's, Vines, a uh, uh, whole bunch of them, uh, Keel and Ditlich for the Old Testament, all these books were written latter 1800s. Since the latter 1800s, there's been an explosion of biblical scholarship as never seen before prior. These were men devoted their entire life, strong concordance. He devoted his entire lifetime just to doing that concordance. No computers. Wow. Um, in the 20th century, we have seen restorations of the prophetic, the apostolic. Great Bible teachings have been brought forth by revelation knowledge to the body of Christ, things that were never taught prior to the 20th century. How about that? but an amplified of it. In the natural, knowledge has increased incredibly. We live in a, in a time when there is an immense increase of knowledge of the technical. Men have walked on the moon. Come on. My grandfather was born in 1893. He lived to be 94 years old. In his lifetime, it started with horses. And he saw men walk on the moon. You could buy a computer for your home. He saw all that in one lifetime. That's unbelievable. Even Jules Verne couldn't have written that in the 1890s, the way he wrote on, on science fiction. So when we consider this, this is the staggering concept of knowledge. Just in the natural is staggering. Do you know it doubles? You can look us up on the internet. By 1900, all the factual knowledge on the earth doubled every century. In other words, it took about 100 years for knowledge to double. Technology today doubles in less than six months. You hear what I just said? In less than six months, 
technology on the earth has doubled. Due to the internet and cell phones, total raw knowledge, data, doubles every 12 hours. Can't comprehend that. Every 12, everybody's got a cell phone. In China. Everybody's got cell phones. Every 12 hours, raw knowledge doubles on the earth. What? How could that have been possible? Daniel prophesied that a long time ago. Since 1948, this world has gone through an immense upheaval to our present day. Uh, this is a witness of the end times on the earth. God's prophetic time clock ticking. Now, I mentioned things last week about what Jesus had prophesied regarding famines, wars, persecution of the church, blah, blah. But tonight we could add to that constant unstable world economies. Uh, great natural disasters on the earth increasing since World War II. Great revivals in false religions and in cults. We have a total dependence today on computers now for just the human race to survive. Without space satellites, we couldn't survive. Do you ever consider if computers and satellites stopped working, there would be worldwide civilization plunged into darkness, not seen since the dark ages? That's how dependent we are. How many millions would die of starvation just because of computers and satellites? Uh, we see today there's a tremendous push towards one world government. That is especially since World War II. Um, this is what the Antichrist will one day pursue. Um, there's a, a deep uh, depth of the gravity of this human situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, one prophet, he's gone home to be with the Lord, Kim Clement, I'll quote him. He said, socialism coming to America is inevitable. Our job is to hinder it in our generation. I like that. As long as I'm here, I'm here to hinder it. Yet we always remember that as we watch this prophetic time clock tick away, only the builder of the clock knows the true time. Men think they do, and they're always proved wrong. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. For we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Moffat translation, to this day we know the entire creation sighs and throbs with pain. We are truly living in amazing days. You could have been born in 500 AD when nothing happened. For a whole hundred years, nothing happened. And your whole lifetime would have been lived in, nothing happened. We are living in amazing days today. When you look at these amazing things, we look at um, confirming from the 20th into the 21st century, it convinces us of the end time status that we're facing. In review here quickly, first proof, Holy Spirit outpouring in 1900. Second proof, the birth of the nation of Israel. Yet there's one more important sign in the natural that points to our end time scenario. And so what is here today that has never been in humanity before that can destroy all life on planet earth? Nuclear war. Do you realize how serious that concept is? Mankind now has in his ability the power to destroy all life 
on planet earth. He has never had that ability in his sinful hands before. Do you trust them? I don't. Even the unsaved has recognized this. Look at all the movie themes post-World War II about possible nuclear war. There's been hundreds of them and some very good ones that are frightening. To quote Albert Einstein, listen carefully to what he says. World War IV will be fought with clubs. World War IV will be fought with clubs. That's how serious it is. Because there's nothing after World War III. That's how serious it is. They even made a movie like that one time. See all these people running through the jungle, and it's in America. It's a post-World War III scenario. They're in total, you know, they're, they're savages. Wow. However, God will not let them do that. The key here. Satan does not have the final word. Jesus tells us it is the evil one who comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Israel is so hated today, they are in the way of so many evil, ambitious nations. How long do you think it will be before they're attacked? America is its only true power nation defender. Again, let's look at Jesus' words now. Matthew 24, verse 22, says more than Einstein. And in day, if those days had not been cut short, no life would have been saved. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. In Mark chapter 13, verse 20, a parallel verse out of the King James, no flesh should be saved. Those are nuke words, folks. If Jesus doesn't cut the day short, there ain't no going to be life left on planet Earth. That's what that implies. Only our, in modern terms could we now understand Jesus' words, that it would make sense to us. For centuries, that could not be understood. Now we get it. Matthew 24, verse 34, out of the Amplified Bible. I assure you, Jesus speaking, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, this generation, the people living when these signs and events begin, will not pass away until all these things take place. Wow. Not going to get to a point where all will be lost. Again, I say, do you think Almighty God is going to allow mankind to destroy Israel and destroy itself in a nuclear war? No. Psalm 2, verse 4, Amplified Bible. He who sits enthroned in the heavens laughs at their rebellion. The sovereign Lord scoffs at them, and in supreme contempt, he mocks them. Yeah. The Lord laughs at men's foolishness and pride of ambition to glorify themselves. Remember, this is not history, but his dash story. This is his story we're seeing here. Not the evil one's story, his story. Isn't it great that we're part of his story because we're in his family? Amen. So, why are these end times? Those are the three truths. There's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that takes place in 1900. There's the presence of the state of Israel and the potential of nuclear annihilation of the human race. That is why we're clearly in end times. This has never existed before in the history of humanity until now. That's not a coincidence. So if anyone would ask you, why do you believe we're in end times? Now you know what to tell them. Next week, we're going to do an explanation.
in Matthew uh, 24 and 25, they will give us more understanding about the end times we're speaking of. And in two weeks, we'll do an exposition on Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, which it appears lie in a season of our imminent future. Heavy stuff. Please, if you can, bring your Bibles with you in the next two weeks. It'll be easier to follow along following with these many, many scriptures we're going to look at in the next two weeks. It's better if you have a Bible in front of you. Hey, how about if you stand, please? And let's close here with a breath of fresh air. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Amplified Bible. But just as it is written in the scripture, things which the eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which has not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, who hold him in affectionate reverence, who obey him, who gratefully recognize the benefits he has bestowed. We are such people, folks. His plans for his church, you and I, are for good. Let's close tonight with the scripture that we read last week that gives us hope. Isaiah 33, verse 6, Amplified Bible. And he will be the security and stability of your times, a treasure of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is your treasure. Always remember in Jesus, I have security, I have my stability, I have my assurance. Fear not and work for him with enthusiasm. Truly, fear not. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you, that you would encourage us in the spirit. We reject the spirit of fear. The world may be in a spirit of fear, but we are in a spirit of stability because of you, Lord. Our times are in your hands. We can trust you with the days ahead. They will not overtake us. We are the ones that set the temperature for the world. We thank you for this, Father God. For such a time as this, you would choose for us to be born into this world civilization. For such a time as this, we would see the great glory of your salvation in our lives. For such a time as this, thank you, Father, for honoring us for being in the body of Christ. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.